Good morning. I am thankful to be back. Mary Lynn and I have been traipsing around the Carolinas for a week, and here we are back again, life shared at Hardwake. Um, our call to worship this morning, I've taken one of the Psalms, a favorite of mine, Psalm 95, and set it up responsively. So let's begin to set our hearts in light of God's Word. Um, I'll begin. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and on the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his and he made it and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our opening hymn, I don't know what life has been like for you, but I realized a while back, and it turned out to be right on target, I need a little a bolt of joy. So you may think it's December. I know it's August, but we all need the promise of God's joy. Let's stand and sing hymn number 92. Yes, joy to the world. Amen, and have a seat if you would. He rules the world. That's the hope in which we live this day, that Christ will establish his kingship. Greetings and welcome to those of you who've gathered here this morning, kind of the, the last Sunday of, of the summer as we get ready to transition into the school year and all those things. And for those of you who welcome us into your space online, whether live stream or recording, thank you that as we worship 
you invite us to be a part of that, and we welcome you in that regard. Um, a lot of things going on as we do this transition. Let me hit a couple of um, slides. Uh, the first one is that next week, if you come here at 9 o'clock, we'll be busy running around because we're going to be uh, having a 10 o'clock service at the All Heart of Wyke, uh, out in the lawn at the um, pavilion. So next Sunday, 10 o'clock, everybody together. Again, 10 a.m. on the lawn there. Uh, the other thing I'm excited is about, we're about to start a new sermon series. This will start September 11, and we'll be working through the Bible in 31 weeks using uh, a collection of Bible texts in the New International Version translation, but 31 distinct chapters to give you an overview of the Scripture. And we can do that, you remember, because the Bible from beginning to end has one key message and focus. It's the person of Jesus and the gospel. All things Jesus said in the Old Testament and the New speak of and to him. And so we'll be doing that. Uh, watch for more as we make uh, various resources available for you and things. The other thing that I'm excited about for our upcoming school year. Becky, why don't you come and join? Uh, Becky is leading our children's ministry, and we're beginning to roll out some new things, offerings, opportunities for children's ministry. I'll let you speak to that. I want you to get to know Becky's face, because she's the one you can volunteer with. That is right. Uh, most of you I have been meeting. It is a joy to see you all walk into the service in the morning, and I get to meet and greet you out there. Um, but I'd love to get to know you on a more personal level, so come see me. Celebration Children's Ministry is going to be beginning September 11th, and the opportunities will include nursery, birth through four years old. We'll have Children's Church, which will be K through third grade. I believe that will be dismissed after the children's message on Sunday mornings here, so you'll go downstairs, have Sunday school, and then meet your parents after the service back up here. There will be the children's message during the service. Exciting news that the balcony is getting renovated. I haven't been up there in the last week, but I know they have been hard at work this past week getting things done up there. And then the last thing, we will always have the discovery binder. They're found when you walk through the doors. You may bring those into your pews, kids, and um, work through those during the service if you don't want to go out for Sunday school or you're too old for that. So come and see me if you want to volunteer or if you have any questions. Bill has done an amazing blog about children's ministry, so I'm going to give him a plug for that. Please read through that and then contact me with any questions. Thank you. Sure. Thank you, Becky. I'm glad for you all to get to know Becky, even as I've gotten to know her more and more and appreciate it. One of the things I learned long ago as a preacher is that if I can support our children's ministry folks so that your children are sneaking up to you at 7 o'clock on Sunday morning and say, please wake up, I want to go to church, that it helps me. So um, still, part of our ministry and outreach into the community is to children. And you may discover that a grandchild of yours uh, would do well here, you can bring them, or a neighbor or a co-worker, or perhaps a couple in your neighborhood, and one of those folks has 
a Sunday morning shift. And so to have a children's ministry that can support and welcome the kids and those who bring them is a real uh, focus of mine for this new year. And I hope that we can be in this together. Um, that as God gifts you, gives you gifts in particular ways, you can invest in the lives of others. I just like that. Another way to volunteer, our Neighbors Plus is going to be doing the Park to Park Run. Um, I love this event, and I do not run. I just show up and stand on a beautiful Saturday morning and tell folks, oh, you're running fast. Head that way. Head that way. If you can do that, we can find a place for you. There's a place for everyone. And then finally, our online connect. Uh, if you would like to make contact with the office, uh, text the word connect to this number, 616-202-1210, and uh, we'll send you a link to a form, and you can say, have the pastor call, send me your Thursday night email, just uh, whatever you like. So we're happy to do that and to get folks connected and plug in that way. It's our desire to not just recognize our visitors, but to welcome you well, to think ahead for needs and opportunities. Great things happening here at Celebration. Glad to, we can be a part of this and reach our community together. I'm always aware, just as last week uh, Professor Wayne Brower preached, a former pastor, I'm one link in a chain. And I love that the chain goes back really across centuries. And here's one way we pick that chain up, the Heidelberg Catechism, a great statement of faith. I'll give you the question and then we respond together. Since there's only one divine being, why do we speak of three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Because that is how God has revealed himself in his word. These three distinct persons are one true eternal God. Tomorrow, uh, the preaching staff will gather and we'll do a podcast on C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. And as I've been reading his book and reminded of some of the great things he said, he has a great picture about the Trinity. You know, you can have a square in two dimensions. And if you get six squares in three dimensions, you have a cube. The difference between the square of our lives in two dimensions and the Trinity is just like that cube. It's bigger than our ability to experience, but it's true because that's how God has revealed himself. Part of God's revelation to us is the grace of his love. Uh, hymn number 351, let's stand and sing that together. Love divine, all loves excelling.
Amen. Thank you. Why don't you all have a seat? And I'm going to ask any of our children that can join us up at the front here for the children's message, if you'd make a move right now and get us up there. Yeah, come on, John. We'll take you. Here we go. Thank you. Here comes Malin and Thayer. We've got everybody coming. I know school has started for some of you, so you've got your concentration going here. And I'm going to introduce, I like to think of her as Marion the librarian, because Ms. Wetbeck is actually our librarian who takes care of the books for everybody. But I've asked her if she would read for you from Every Story Whispers His Name. All right, Deb? Good morning. You can call me Miss Deb. I'm not Marion. <laughs> but when I was a librarian, kids would often come to me and say, I want a book on how to make an origami crane or I want a book on how to play soccer, or I want a book on how to plant a garden. Well, there is a book that teaches us how to pray. It's part of Matthew 6. And here is how to pray in Jesus' guides. In those days, there were some extra, super, holy people, for at least that's what they thought, and they were called Pharisees. Every day, they would stare out into the middle of the street and they would pray out loud in big, extra, super holy voices. They really weren't praying so much as showing off. They used lots of special words that were so clever that no one understood what they meant. People walking by would stop and stare, and, which might sound rude, except that's exactly what the extra, super holy people wanted. They wanted everyone to say, Look at them. They are so holy. God must love those people the best. Now, you and I know they were wrong. God doesn't love holy people, but the people walking by weren't so sure. Perhaps you have to be really clever or good or important for God to love you. Perhaps you have to know lots of difficult, clever words to speak to God. So one day, Jesus taught the people how to pray. He said, when you pray, don't pray like those extra super holy people. They think they say lots of words, God will hear them. But it's not because you're so clever or good or so important that God will listen to you. God listens to you because he loves you. Did you know that God's always listening to you? Did you know that God can hear that quietest whisper deep inside your heart even before you've started to say it? Because God knows exactly what you need to hear even before you ask him, Jesus told him. You see, God just can't wait to give you all you need. So you don't need to use long words or special words. You don't have to use a special voice. You just have to talk. So when you pray, pray in your normal voice, just like you're talking to someone you love very much, like this. Hello, Daddy. We want to know you and be close to you. Please show us how. Make everything in the world right again, and in our hearts, too. Do what's best, just like you do in heaven. And please do it down here, too, because give us everything we need today. Forgive us for doing wrong, for hurting you. Forgive us just as we forgive other people when they hurt us. Rescue us. We need you. We don't want to keep running away and hiding from you. Keep us safe from our enemies. You're strong, God. You can do whatever you want. You're in charge, now and forever and for always. We think you're great. Amen. Yes, we do. You see, Jesus was showing people that God would always love them with never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. So they didn't need to hide anymore or be afraid or be ashamed. They could stop running away from God and they could run to him instead 
just like a little child runs into her daddy's arms. Amen. Thank you. Let me send you all back. You can have a seat. Thank you, Ms. Deb. As I was looking at that and preparing, I remembered in the Reformed tradition, we call those folks super extra Calvinistic expialidocious. That's what Mary Poppins would have thought. Um, how God calls us to trust in Him and to enter in the love of a heavenly Father who's made the way open through Jesus. To close this prayer time, I'm going to use the words from that paraphrase. So when I say just as Jesus taught us, you'll see on the screen those same words from the every story whispers his name, paraphrase of the Lord's Prayer. It seemed appropriate to just pick that up and let that uh, kind of marinate in our hearts. But let's turn to the Father and pray now, shall we? Father, we thank you that the door is open because of what Jesus did on the cross for us and for all humanity. And so by your grace on the pathway that is he himself, we enter in and we cry out, Abba, Father. Hello, Daddy. Thank you that you have taken us from simple creatures of the great creator to deeply loved, fully adopted children of the great creator king because of what Jesus did. Father, this day we pray for Heart Awake Ministries. We thank you for the season of transitions. We can feel the end of summer and the beginning of school for all the things that start to happen in new and fresh ways. Help us to live in that freshness of the season, to celebrate and to enjoy. Fill us with a joy, and a joy not simply for us, but a joy for the whole world. We pray for Pastor Aaron and the watershed community as he preaches this day, as they stand uh, in light of your word, encourage and bless them. For Fusion and Pastor JB, and for Mission with Pastor Florencio that will be right here where we are in just a few hours, proclaiming your grace in Spanish. Thank you that your kingdom is big and that you're drawing people to yourself even this day in this place. Father, we pray for celebration, and it's been a journey, so we continue to pray some themes, and then I'll just release you to pray in the silence of your heart. We pray, Father, for those among us who are sick, who have health needs, emotional or physical, perhaps a diagnosis or the, the challenge of treatment, physical therapy, recovery. Just pray by name to the Lord for those with medical needs that you know. Father, it's been a season marked by grief as well. And I pray that for those who are on the journey of grief, you would walk with them, even as Jesus did with his two friends on the road to Emmaus, as they grieved the crucifixion even before they could really grasp the resurrection. Thank you that grief is not a location or a permanent identity, but we recognize that it is a journey, and so walk with people. We pray for the upcoming Grief Share group that will be meeting in September with Pastor Mary. Prepare us even there to stand together in joy and in sorrow, in hope and in sadness, and to navigate life until you return. 
Father, we pray for those for whom times are heavy, uh, whatever the circumstances may be. Thank you that whether for ourselves, for neighbor or family member, for our community or even our nation or world, those things that press in on our heart, we lift to you. And Father, we want to be faithful as you instruct us and as we grow up into the fullness of Christ. Your word instructs us to pray for those in authority over us. And this week in our cycle, we pray for the state of Michigan. We pray for, by name for Governor Gretchen Whitmer and Attorney General Nessel and Secretary of State Benson. We pray for our representatives in the State House, Mary Whitford and Jim Lilly and Bradley Slaw, for State Senator Roger Victory. Father, particularly in an upcoming election, we pray that you would guide your people and that you'd raise up good government, that there would be shalom, wholeness in the land, justice and truth, and there'd be a flourishing of all people. We thank you that the good news is for the whole world, Lord God, and so we remember those who serve as missionaries and for countries where life is hard-pressed. We pray particularly for the nation of Ukraine as they've been invaded. Help us and our leaders to navigate this challenge. May we as a church be a people of prayer, pressing forward in the heavenly realms for the establishing of justice and hope that Christ will eventually bring to our planet. And gracious Father, you have instructed us to deal with our anxieties through, among several things, but this day I want to focus on thanksgiving, a heart attitude of honest gratitude. Thank you that Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, do not be anxious about anything, but instead, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then the shalom of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We do bring to you our requests, but we come with thanksgiving. We lay aside trepidation, trepidation or fear. With that in mind, Father, we thank you for all the ways in the past that you have taken care of us. And we would choose to thank you as well, even now ahead of time, knowing that it will be wise and good for whatever you do and whatever you lead each of us in with your future. With gratitude, we look to the future you have for us. Give us a great joy. Finally, Father, teach us to pray with simple hearts as children, uh, in hope and in grace. Teach us to pray just as Jesus taught us and in this paraphrase, saying, Hello, Daddy. We want to know you and be close to you. Please show us how. Make everything in the world right again and in our hearts too. Do what is best, just like in heaven. And please do it down here too. Please give us everything we need today. Forgive us for doing wrong, for hurting you, Forgive us just as we forgive other people when they hurt us. Rescue us. We need you. Keep us safe from our enemies. 
You are strong, God. You can do whatever you want. You are in charge. Now and forever and for always, we think you're great. Amen and amen. Well, as we turn to the Word, this is the last Sunday we'll be in this series, Everyday Wisdom, uh, focused primarily on the book of Proverbs. But remember, we also looked at uh, Job and Ecclesiastes, uh, living wisely in this broken world. Uh, God gives us some goals and parameters. I like to talk about uh, probabilities, not promises and Proverbs. We live those out and reap just as we sow. But Ecclesiastes reminds us that if we try to make sense of the world just in terms of the world, it will look hopeless. This world doesn't make sense if you don't first recognize the lordship of something greater than ourselves. As well, we see that sometimes the world doesn't make sense. With Job, we see that there is suffering that we did not deserve or earn, but God is at work in the midst of that for us. So this morning, I want to finish kind of our time in Proverbs. And rather than read um, a text and then expose it or expound it and then close with an application, what I want to do is kind of prepare some things and then comment as I read through it. It's a bit of a change from my usual process, but that's what I'll uh, be doing. If you're following with me, it'll be in Proverbs chapter 7, and I'll read some verses, talk, kind of go along with the sermon outline that's in your bulletin as well. Let's start by praying, because see, again, the authority of the Scripture, the power to change of heart is not in me or my preparation. It's in a loving spirit here with us today. Let's pray. Father, thank you that centuries ago you spoke through the wise king, Solomon, and you gave him instruction for his son that we might have instruction for our lives as well. So I pray, Father, you take these ancient texts and now by the power of your Holy Spirit, just as you've preserved them across centuries, that now you'd help our minds and hearts know and respond to them. Fill us with great hope and joy, we pray. Uh, guide our footsteps. Um, guard your people from my own confusion and brokenness, but in all things, make yourself known. We love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Years ago, back in the day, they say now, when I was playing music uh, to pay the bills, we'd play at different places. There'd be a time that we'd play at, a, say, a high school prom. And the thing about those proms is you could always see folks would duck out and they'd get to the back of the gym and sneak one real quick. Somebody'd steal some liquor from their parents' liquor cabinet. And so that would go on out in the back and in the shadow. The next week, our band might play at, say, a fraternity party. And fraternity parties were different in that the beer kegs were all out there, as well as the shots. And we'd play, and they would learn some lessons. Well, another time, we might play at an old honky-tonk. You know, that kind of place you drive by. I hope you drive by it. You go in, and they say, oh, we've got two kinds of music here, country and western. And there you are, 
We would play a prom, a frat party, and then some of those honky-tonks, and you'd see a progression. Now, I realize that nobody who sneaks one during prom plans to end up. And not everybody who does sneak one ends up in a dark, smoky place, having run through two marriages, unable to hold a job, sitting there listening to a band with a mediocre bass player. But there they are. Let me tell you something. Temptation leads to sin, and sin brings sorrow and pain to lives. We'll see that. Jesus teaches his disciples to pray this way, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And it's interesting, the evil there, the way it's set up in the Greek, it could be, I won't dwell on this, either um, personal or impersonal. We usually say deliver us from evil. It's just as well to say deliver us from the evil one. It's that personal and specific. It's both and, not either or. Lead us not into temptation. And I'm intrigued. We pray that week by week, but do we ever really give people instruction on how to deal with temptation? Or do we just live in denial? If I can show up for an hour on Sunday and keep a clean face, everything's good. You know, I think part of the, the, the work of discipling, making disciples, is helping one another learn how to identify temptation and how to deal with it long before we get to particular behaviors. And that's a matter of what I like to call navigating the pathways of the heart. It's not so much about looking at what you're doing and how you're behaving. It's more a question of saying, what's going on inside? And it's easy for me to point to the problem of alcoholism and to recognize that it develops with a stolen drink, becomes a party habit, and leads to brokenness. But you know, there are good sins that we have become very comfortable with. Jerry Bridges, a great writer, has a fascinating book, Respectable Sins. And let me tell you, in that book, he just unpacks church life. We might not be really good about alcoholism, but you know, gossip. I just have a prayer request I want to share. I often ask people, where do you pray? if you're going to share that. Are you praying or are you just passing along information? How about pride? One of the most pushback I've ever gotten on a sermon was I did a Bible overview, overview of what the Bible says about pride. And of all the references to pride, there's only one that can almost be read in a way that affirms pride. Every other, not most other, every other reference to pride is it goes before destruction. It leads to the fall. It's a problem. It wounds other people. And I want to tell you after that sermon, this was in another church, after that sermon, I had grandparents lined up saying, I'm proud of my grandchildren. And you know what I told each one of them? 
Maybe the Bible is calling you to be thankful for your grandchildren's decisions and for their hard work. Do you see the difference between gratitude and pride? Pride is a respectable sin that permeates the church. You know, I realized part of my own life. It took years, but I began to see that a heart of pride and a little bit of insecurity was deep down within me. And when I got that built up with a really good classical education, I was suddenly capable of winning arguments, giving people forceful answers to questions that were not being asked, and it developed into a self-righteousness. But it helped me excel for a season in growing churches. So I want to tell you, friends, the Scripture calls us to learn to navigate the pathways of our heart. And right now I want to put down a stake and say, when we navigate the pathways of our heart, we don't face the pressure of shame. We don't face the exhortation, work harder, do better. We have an invitation to come to the cross and say, there, Jesus set me free. We navigate the pathways of the heart to learn where to bring the gospel in our lives. I love the book, and we've been using it as a secondary text for this sermon series, God's Wisdom for Navigating Life, five minutes a day for each of these pages. 365 of them. I started in January. We've been using this through the course of our sermon series. You know what I'm doing in January? I'm going back to the beginning. I want to encourage you, learn to navigate the pathways of your heart and to bring the gospel to those. Let's dig into the scripture, Psalm chapter 7, because this is exactly what Solomon the king is doing with his son. Listen to what he says. My son, keep my words and store up my commandments within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And to insight, you are my relative. That is to say, live close to them. Make them family members. They will keep you from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words. I want to tell you, this passage begins the transmission of wisdom in the context of relationship. He says, my son, it's parent to child. Friends, I want to tell you, parenting is about discipling a heart in Christ. It's more than provision. It's more than education. It's more than behavior management. It may involve all of those, but the great goal is to make disciples, parent to child. It's relational. This is, as it were, Solomon speaking to Rehoboam. It's relational. It's applicable. And as the coming king, his son, Rehoboam, that's how government worked back then, saved the price of election. As the coming king, Rehoboam needed to learn how to guard his heart from sexual sin and temptation. Have you known any people in power who've fallen from power because of sexual sin? 
You bet. Now, is that the only sin that we're tempted to? Well, no, different people face different temptations. This passage is going to be instruction on how to deal with temptation, and he's using the specific temptations for his son, Rehoboam. But we need to realize that each of us faces patterns of temptation, drawing us to patterns of sin, and know how to intersect with those. You know, I put in the celebration in form a link on my blog site to a post that I put up there. The 12 best video minutes I know for equipping people to ask questions of their children or their grandchildren or for themselves. Engaging a child's heart. It's Paul David Tripp. And many of you have read a daily devotional or other books by Paul David Tripp. This is a segment 12 minutes from one of his parenting seminars. And he starts, he's got two parts in 12 minutes. The three power tools without power that parents default to and the five questions every one of us needs to be able to ask our children. It was a guideline for me challenging my own heart. He starts with those three power tools that have no power to change the heart. He says the first one we go for is fear. And the second one we go for is reward, what he calls the perverse skill of moral economics. Will this pay? And for the third one, you're going to have to look at the video. But there you go, 12 minutes for helping engage the heart and learn how to navigate the pathways of a heart. Friends, how many of us have sat in churches? Think of me, how many of us have preached sermons on how to manage behaviors? The four steps to a good prayer life. That's just behavior management. How do you deal with a heart that doesn't want to go transparently to God? That's where we need to navigate. Well, Proverbs 7 continues. And Cynthia, I'm going to ask you to kind of re, uh, press through those. If you can do that for me, uh, I'll read better off of here. It begins in verse 6. And we're setting the scene here is what I call this section. At the window of my house, this is Solomon's voice speaking, I looked down through the lattice. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. So here is Solomon telling a story, painting a picture, as it were, to his son, and he's setting the scene. He's pointing out a young man who's unsuspecting. I saw among the simple... I noticed among the young men a youth who had no sense. Oh, he was there, but he wasn't there. As a former middle school boy and a former parent of middle school boys and a longtime youth worker, what would you call the law of the universe? Take a thoughtful middle school boy and you have that much good sense? Put him together with three other middle school boys, and you have that much good sense. We're setting the scene, and this is a young person who's unsuspecting. Not that any people grow up and are unsuspecting. 
You see, if we make this just about sexual sin or just about father to son, we will miss the principles. Have you ever noticed on a day that you've had tension with a coworker, somebody comes up to you and says, yeah, they get under my skin too? What is that? Don't be unsuspecting that in the moment of your frustration, something happens to lead you one step further down the pathway of anger. You see, this person, the tempted in this thing, he lacked purpose. He was just kind of living and doing what he needs. One of the things that protects us from falling along the way is a purpose. Why are you here? What are you doing? What are your goals? Stay focused. Who knows what you may stumble across. The other thing uh, is lacking situational awareness. Uh, I had the glorious opportunity a number of years ago to disciple several recovering alcoholics, and they would bring me to AA meetings, and I got to learn the dynamics of that. You know, there's an honesty around the circle of recovering alcoholics that we typically avoid in the church. It's so easy in the church to try to, well, I know I should be doing better, but I'm not, so I'm just going to kind of, you know. But you sit around the circle in an A meeting and everybody knows your life is messed up. So you start from a place of honesty. And my AA friends used to say, halt, if you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, be aware you're down, you're susceptible on the pathway of temptation. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And even to this day, if I'm facing a decision and I can identify that I'm hungry or angry or lonely or tired, you know the term, hangry, have a Snickers. These things affect us, that situational awareness that prepares us for temptation. What is there in the circle of your life? that may make you susceptible to making the journey of temptation. Well, in the midst of this, temptation appears. Again, follow along on the screen with me. I'll read from here. Then, you see, here's the change. Out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She's unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him. And with a brazen face, she said, let's stop right there. Because what I want to point out is that temptation appears. There's something fascinating about temptation. It seems it's always from outside the tempted. In those moments when I'm tired or when I'm frustrated with a coworker or that a situation is under my skin, something from outside will press the buttons of my heart. Have you ever heard that term? Oh yeah, he knows how to press his buttons. They know how to get at it. You see, there are things within us that predispose us, but there are things outside of us that know where to push. Then, the scripture says, see there's a transition in the scene. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute with crafty intent, and yet temptation always strikes at the heart. Where is your insecurity? Where is your yearning? Where is an idol that you might serve in this moment? 
It focuses almost always before it leads to a behavior, almost always as a desire of the heart that finds an inappropriate way to be met. Well, let's dig in, as Solomon did with his son, to the strategy of the temper, tempter. I'll begin reading at verse 14. This is the voice of this woman who is tempting uh, this unsuspecting young man. Today I fulfilled my vows and I have food from my fellowship offering at home. Friends, I want to tell you something. Fellowship offering at home. This means this tempter has been at church and worshiped. This is temptation from a religious person who's made a fellowship offering and brought the leftovers back to house. Oh, I was at church in the potluck and I brought home some dessert. You see, there's that sort of thing with it. So I came out to meet you and I looked for you and have found you. I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us drink deeply of love till morning. Let us enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not home. He has gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money, and he will not be home until the full moon. Friends, the tempter comes with a strategy of rationalization. Oh, these folks are outwardly religious. You can share that gossip. Oh, you're behaving well. Don't worry about what this starts in your own heart. Reflecting on anger. There is a rationalization that comes. I can do this. It's under my control. It won't be a problem. See, then we begin to believe an over-promise. This is verse 15, and these are words that I'm borrowing from Tim Keller and specific on this over-promise. I looked for you, says the tempter in verse 15, as if the tempter is interested in the well-being of that person. I want to tell you, every tempter is interested in themselves, not in you. In truth... The tempter is saying, I want to use you for my own desires, even if it costs you your life. A friend, when drinking and making a fool of herself, told me that she had lots of people who were willing to buy for her, buy more liquor. But when she started struggling with sobriety and was no longer the life of the party, the butt of jokes, suddenly she was alone. Friends, the tempter does not have your best interests in mind. It is God who created you and created you for such a life. It is Jesus who redeemed you and calls you back to the fullness of life. Don't think the tempter has your best interest in mind. It's an overpromise and a lie. Verses 16 and 18, the initial pleasure. Notice the, the appeal to the senses, colored linens, perfume. It's so wonderful. And you can almost hear the voice. You're safe. There will be no consequences. My husband is not home. We can do this and get away with it. I've known people who've embezzled millions of dollars. They didn't first embezzle a million. They embezzled a much smaller amount, and it worked, and it worked. 
and it worked, and it worked, and it worked, and then they were in jail. These things build. Recognize, though, that there's an initial pleasure. Hebrews 11:25. it speaks of people of faith, and it says, Moses chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than, and this is the King James Version uh, way of stating it, rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. The pleasures of sin for a season. The New International Version phrases this, fleeting pleasures of sin. What this reminds us of is that your first encounter with behaviors and sin is pleasurable. Hear that reality. Your first encounter with pornography will be marked by pleasure, not by destruction and addiction. The first time you sneak a shot at the prom, you don't have a lifetime of alcoholism and broken marriage in mind. It starts, and it is pleasurable. I remember living in, in Holly Grove in New Orleans, our summer there in the inner city, and I got to know and interact over a long period of time with heroin users. They remembered the first time they hit up with joy. That scared me to death. But it gave me a picture of what it means, the pleasure of sin for a season. Friends, if it feels good, be suspicious. <laughs> because sin will have a season of pleasure. But recognize that the journey of temptation is going somewhere. I'll begin in verse 21. With persuasive words, she led him astray. This is Solomon speaking to his son about this scene, this story. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once he followed her like an ox gored going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Friends, there is an end point to temptation, and it's death. It's the sin. It's the behaviors that cost you in this life or the next. And there comes this point at which it seems impossible for us to turn back. James 1.15 says, Then after desire was conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. There's a direction of temptation. Oh, it's pleasurable for a season, but it leads to behaviors, and behaviors that lead to death of jobs, of marriages, of hope. Temptation heads in a direction. That's why Solomon closes with this summary. Now then, my sons, and it's interesting, it goes from singular to plural, as if as Solomon speaks to Rehoboam, the other sons. Remember, Solomon had a lot of sons. We'll talk about that in a moment. But his sons gather around because they too want to learn. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways, the ways of the tempter, or stray into her paths, the places where the tempter can have access to you. Many are the victims she has brought down, her slain or a mighty throng. The tempter 
has crushed the lives of many tempted. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. Solomon closes with two simple points of encouragement to guardways. He says, watch your heart because that's where sin first takes root and develops. Careful of your heart. When you tell yourself, oh, I have control, doubt yourself. Ask yourself, ask someone you trust, where does this lead? Watch your heart and do not stray into temptation's path. Make yourself and your daily routines, the things you do, the people you are with, people who draw you close to the gospel rather than draw you close to compromise. I want to tell you something about what helps us deal with temptation that wants to lead to sin that, and the behaviors and then on to death. How do we deal with these things? I want to tell you, obedience can guide us, but it cannot complete the journey. Do you remember Moses, the great leader of the Old Testament, led Israel out of slavery in Egypt, across the Red Sea, through a 40-year journey that eventually got them to the Promised Land? Moses, the great leader of Israel. The Lord gave the law to Israel through Moses. But because of Moses' disobedience, he could not enter into the promised land. Numbers 20:11. Moses was instructed, he disobeyed, and he had to wait. He could not go into the promised land. Friends, the law and grit, determination, obedience will never be enough to deal with temptation and to bring you freedom. I'm just going to get a hold of this. I'm just going to do this or that. I'll put a filter on my cell phone. The law doesn't get you there. It wasn't until the Mount of Transfiguration in Luke 9 that we see Moses with Jesus and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. There's only one way that you get to the land of promise. It's not law and obedience and rock-ribbed morality. It's Jesus. Solomon, who's ostensibly the speaker here in this passage, he was the ruler of Israel with great wisdom. He was the son of David. He started his reign asking for wisdom and was given great gifts. Here he teaches his son about the temptation to adultery, which every leader should face. But we need to recognize that even wisdom from God is not enough for Solomon. Solomon would violate God's intention for marriage. He would take multiple wives. He would add because he could concubines. And that violation of the intention of the commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery, would lead to the breakdown of a nation. His son would hear his father speak, but his son would be responsible for the division of the nation, the divided kingdom. See, not even wisdom is enough. C.S. Lewis says, when we think we're wise and can see through everything, eventually we don't see anything. If everything is something I can see through, eventually, I don't see a thing. We need to see through the temptation to the cross, to the gospel of Jesus Christ, where he alone offers life and hope. 
Jesus is the way to a step away from the pathway of temptation and to enter into a hope. Our strength is not what we can do, but it's in whom we rest. There's the good news of the gospel. Wisdom points us in a direction, but Jesus completes the journey. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I give you thanks that you've not left us to ourselves, but you've spoken to us in your written word. And in this, we see not only the pathway, but our inability. And we're gripped by the hope of the gospel in this moment, I pray. Not shame, not uh, demands of the law, but an invitation to receive by faith what Jesus earned at the cross to live in Christ rather than in our strength. Father, I pray you'd fill us with the grace of your Holy Spirit that we might hear your voice turning us away from the pathway of temptation, bringing us to the cross rather than submitting to the behaviors that grow from that temptation, that we might be instruments and a people of life and humility and joy in all that you have for us. For we make our prayer in the mighty name of Jesus and all of God's people said together, Amen and amen. Law can guide us. Wisdom can give us insight. But my hope, ah, my hope, it is built on nothing less than Jesus. Let's sing together hymn number 772. Ah, my hope is built on nothing less. At the close of the service, uh, please stay and join us for some coffee fellowship, some time together. And at about 10.15, I hope to get my question and answer, kind of follow-up 
downstairs basement room number one, opportunities for us to connect and grow deep together and in Christ. Receive now the benediction, the blessing of God from Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church. He writes this, May the grace of Christ, which daily renews us, and the love of God, which enables us to love all, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, which unites us in one body, may that make us eager to obey the will of God until we meet again through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen and amen.